you're like so gay. Don't start it off with a yawn. What are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm getting it out of the way. Uh-huh. 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 Hey, all you sexual deviants. And sexual deviant wannabes, what's up? How are you? We missed you. Did you miss us? Hopefully. Shout out to the few people that did reach out about last week not having an episode. I'm sorry to let you down. Honestly, I'm so impressed that we made it 10 months. Without really yeah. missing a week? Literally 10 months. Yeah, I mean, it was bound to happen eventually because life is like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think making it 10 months is insane. Yeah. Anyway. I mean, that is just like so in- ridiculous. It's but anyway, considering um, with YouTube, I'm like, I'm going to be back next week. And then it goes four months without me making a video. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> Yeah. There's a good reason. But, um, <laughs> yeah. But anyway, yeah, sorry, guys. I mean, I was just finishing up my semester the last couple weeks, and it has been, like, absolutely bonkers, insane, mm-hmm. sun-up-to-sun-down theory, um, mm-hmm. theoretically type stuff. Um, and then between that and Aaron's busyness, we just, like, couldn't also, that's get our Matt. shit together. He's 26. He just finished his second year of law school. He's gay. And he <laughs> is a free bitch now for 12 days. Approximately. Actually, Approximately. two weeks. I don't start my internship till for two weeks from tomorrow, actually. So, yeah. Oh um, and that's Erin. days. Yeah. Wow. That's Erin. She's 25. Um, he lives in L.A. He is in television. Um, he's gay. No, I'm not. <laughs> He's queer. <laughs> he doesn't know what what way is up. Yeah. He's back. I'm backtracking now. Anyway. <laughs> and this is Green the Air, a weekly podcast where we talk about gay shit. Woo. Yeah, baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so thanks for hanging with us. Thanks for hanging with us. Yeah. So congrats on finishing your second year of law school, Matt. I don't know how oh, you did it. Thanks. I truly don't know how I did it either. I have a lot of like things that I'm mad about and whatnot, but I will, I'm going to pat myself on the back and everybody else who has just finished a school year in particular, shout out to anybody um, Mm -hmm. in my law school who just finished the year because we, and I think a lot of this happened to a lot of other, at a lot of other schools as well, but they took away our spring break. So we had like, like I didn't have more than like, like one, maybe two weekdays. No, I don't think I ever had two weekdays in a row off since the beginning of January. What was their reasoning for taking away spring break? I know a lot of colleges did it too, to prevent people from traveling, I think. I, I think it was that. It was, it's super annoying because, like, we are mostly remote. Yeah. Like, there's a little, there's, like, a small section of first years who are have a couple classes in person, but, like, I truly don't, I don't know the reasoning. I know, I I heard people say things like, like that, like they don't want people traveling. And also, if you do it like this, 
you build in more time at the end of the semester in case a professor gets sick and has to cancel like a week or two of class. Interesting. Which didn't end up happening. And I, all of my classes just went every single week for like (laughs) 16 weeks. Damn. (laughs) I was just like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Um, You're, you're, your your season of law school was almost as long as Drag Race season thirteen or twelve or whatever <laughs> the year it was. Literally, I mean, the Drag Race season seemingly never end. It actually probably was about the same amount of time because there's that started on New Year's and ended what three weeks ago. So it then it absolutely started was January first. Like, <laughs> that is insane. Yeah. Lord have mercy. Yeah. But yeah. Anyway, thank you for the congratulations. I'm very happy to be done with it. Um I have I'm looking forward to uh, a last year that is a little lighter on classes and a little heavier on actually getting out there and doing some work with people, um which makes me really happy. Um I think I will be just as busy, but it will be much more enjoyable busy yeah that's good mm-hmm. what's nice. been going on with you um i've been dying i have things i want to congratulate you on but like once again i don't know where yeah i don't know. i don't know if i can talk about them quite yet so yeah I, I still can't really talk about that many things either all i'll say is that um work life is progressing interestingly there has been growth and then there have been pauses and I'm excited to be able to talk about it, but I don't think I'm there yet. Um, <laughs> there have been good developments with the OnlyFans documentary project that are very exciting. Um, again, I don't want to talk too much on that yet, but <laughs> but she's coming along. Um, what else? That's really like the main things that have been like taking over my life on top of my full-time job and producing the podcast and doing social media for oh and i got a new client too for (laughs) to redo their social media for for my friends like business so um yeah it's just been a lot uh it's been very overwhelming so that's why there was also no episode last week because i'm getting a little burned out (laughs) Mm. sorry world (laughs) yeah if that makes sense yeah but (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I feel like some. I feel like we're on the edge of a breakthrough. Yes, I hope for both of our sakes we are on the edge of a, a breakthrough. Yeah. Whatever that really means. But... I don't know. I, <laughs> I have no idea. But yeah. um, thank you to our monthly supporters, as always. Shout out to Mara, Emily, Michael, and Jimmy. We love you. We love you. <laughs> Before we get into the episode, Aaron, I'm. I really want to know what you've been listening to. What you are got your songs some bops and bangers. <laughs> <laughs> That's what we should start calling it. Bops <laughs> and bangers of the week. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> my brain is a puddle. Also, on top of everything, I I I'm curious. I mean, I mean, I guess this hasn't really been an issue for you yet because you've been sequestered still and dying with law school but Mm -hmm. i think on top of like all of the like commitments the fact that the social 
side of world of the world is like beginning again is just like so much to balance oh yeah and I, had, I had a friend come visit la and stay with me for nine days um which was really fun holy shit <laughs> just like took all of the life out of me so i'm gonna go hibernate for a month now well good bitch rest up you only have like two weeks till june and till you know what june is starts what's june till shot gay summer starts no don't take that out that doesn't work shot gay summer <laughs> <laughs> well you know this like it, people say like hot girl summer then some people started saying shot girl summer because everyone's got their vaccines oh. and people have said like hot gay summer before because the gays have to center themselves always of course so i like combined them but i don't like it i don't either that's so. but i also thought you meant like tequila shots not like vaccine shots oh and that's oh, just like triggering yeah. to me i've been taking a lot of shots for <laughs> which i just like don't my body doesn't agree with anymore mm. <laughs> my friend yeah, cam yesterday my friend cam yesterday was like i can't do shots because my brain doesn't move quickly enough so i got drunk and my brain like <laughs> handle it <laughs> and i was like honestly real that is getting old <laughs> i love that yeah. i was gonna say like i haven't done a shot in like over a year but um we <laughs> i hope my boss isn't listening but a lot of the time we'll do like a pre-shift shot at work i love that so we'll all go behind the bar and like take a shot although she's definitely she, she sometimes listening. does it she also does it with us sometimes <laughs> yeah amazing yeah so but i haven't been there in a i haven't been there in a few weeks i've been uh, sequestered away because of finals and whatnot so mm. uh excited to get back into the restaurant industry right as the to mask guidance the has been lifted yeah well that'll Very. still be that's still a statewide thing right it varies state by state, or is that not a thing? Yeah, varies state by state. I think Cuomo announced that new, or at least Bill de Blasio, I think, so yeah. for New York City, announced that it was going to be like lifted soon. or like the mandate. Yeah, pretty soon. I think statewide, I, I haven't heard anything, but um, let's just say that... And, a starting date is going to be considered more of like a suggested starting date at my job and that they people may um stop wearing their masks sooner than that and i will leave it at that and let you two interpret as you will okay nice love that all right what are i don't want to get anyone in trouble <laughs> what are the bobs and bangers of the week matthew um, okay, so I've got an emo bop of the week. I do too, actually. Um, okay, can't wait to hear. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of like late 2000s pop punk, pop rock recently. Um, there have been many, many options, but I'm going to go with... And I'm going to ignore <laughs> the, whatever you're doing on camera. <laughs> Um, uh-huh. I'm going to go with, um, The Great Escape by Boys Like Girls. Mine's in a very similar vein. Okay, so then why don't you say yours then? I will. Right My emo song came on after a taping, like, a week and a half ago. Like, because they play mm-hmm. music after the tapings to, like, get the audience pumped up. And they played Teenagers by My Chemical Romance, which I haven't heard in I love it. years. And I was like, oh my god, I forgot how good and also how dark this song is. 
But I was okay, like, mm-hmm. uh, also such a good, such a good one. A I banger. love that. Yeah. Um, and then my regular normal per- normal people song of the week. Um, again, another throwback um, is going to be, and it's in recognition of the re-release onto Spotify, but it's going to be Itty Bitty Piggy by Nicki Minaj. Uh-huh. It is a timeless, timeless song. One of the first songs I ever sat down and learned all the words to. And that is Gay Rights. <laughs> gay Rights. Gay Rights. Did you listen to the new ones on there? Um, I only realized last night that the first couple songs are new. Um, mm. So I think I listened to like two or three of them and then I was like not really in a hip hop mood. Yeah. Seeing Green is um, so good. The one with Drake and Lil Wayne. Is it? Okay, I'll have to listen it's to really, it. I mean, it's good. I know Lil Wayne it just is makes not me, like, a, a little nostalgic. Yeah, but Drake really? is so great. Yeah, because it just like reminds me of like yeah, old, he is. old Drake and Nicki and whatnot. But uh, young mm, money, young money. I have a lot of songs. Oh, what's yours? Um, okay, we'll just pick one. Jesus, my Christ. favorite <laughs> that I found recently is "Subway Car" by Marky Bassey. Um, I just like love his voice, and I love all of his music. It's so fucking good. It's so good. Okay. <laughs> I what think kind of music like is it? it? Again, you'll be like, "This is absolutely an Aaron song." Um, <laughs> it's kind of like. It's, like, soulful, but it's, like, pop music. It's, like, R&B soul okay. pop is how I would describe it. Okay, his music is... Gorge. I love him. He's so fucking talented. So. Mm, Gorgina. Gorgina. Orangina. Mm. Did you ever drink those when you were a kid? <laughs> no. You didn't? I had... I, no. I think I had maybe once. So we were more Fanta... But I again, uh, my family was never big on soda. Yeah, I would only get yeah, them at so. treats at the SNS, which was the diner in Cambridge next to my that my grandma always to, <laughs> and I would always get an orangina. An orangina. <laughs> Angina. I'm surprised there's no drag. Yeah, I was about to say I'm surprised there's no drag queens named Orangina. Anyway, who do we have on the on the pod this week? <laughs> um, today we have a very special friend brought to uh, connected to us by a friend of the pod, Jade. Um, her Woo! uncle, Chad, is joining us today. Yes. Aaron, you. who is Chad? Thank you, Jade. Thank you, Chad. Chad is um, a yes, thanks, legend, Jade. a legend in the Broadway sphere. Like, he's done everything. Like, he talked about it in the episode. He started as an actor. He has written a number of Broadway shows, including, and most recently uh, in the spotlight was Prom. Um, which was developed into the Netflix movie with Ryan Murphy, uh, Meryl Streep, the crew, James Corden. Nicole Kidman. Nicole. Yeah. He wrote Aladdin for Disney, um, for Broadway. He wrote The Wedding Singer. He wrote Elf. So he is a legend and he is fucking hysterical. <laughs> yeah, he really is. It was such an awesome conversation. I learned so much. Yeah. Like, didn't realize really how little I knew about Broadway. Mm-hmm. same very eye-opening episode very cool look into you know his life and you know screen adaptations of things i don't know there's just like so much cool stuff that we talked about that i was like what yeah I, I was just editing the episode earlier and i'm actually like pretty proud of a lot of the questions that we asked i was like damn okay but that was a good one <laughs> like we did <laughs> we asked some good ones <laughs> 
Wait, you mean we weren't brain dead for an interview? Some, yeah, sometimes I'm editing them and I'm just like, oh no, what did I, why did I say that like that? Like, what is happening? You know when you're like halfway through a question and your brain just kind of shuts off sometimes? Like, I feel like that happens to me a lot with Zoom interviews. Yeah, absolutely. And also, I'll be like halfway through a question and be like, oh God, this is not how you should ask this question. How do I like stop and restart and like not be an idiot asking this? Literally. Yeah, so I hope you guys enjoy the episode. And we'll talk to you next week. That's. Yeah. All right. Enjoy. Adios. guys how's it going hi chad thank you for joining us we're super super excited to chat with you today of course in in your words you know who are you um i'm a guy um i uh i'm a writer mostly musical theater mostly uh broadway of course my last show the prom was made into a, a feature film uh ryan murphy and netflix uh blew our minds when they came to see the show and said they wanted to do it so uh that's Basically it. Um, married about 26 years now. Uh, live in New York and uh, have a place in the Hamptons. And uh, just keeping writing and, you know, keeping on, keeping on. Awesome. I love that. Well, I want to jump right in, ask about the married thing, because I'm actually doing a, a pro bono project for a, a volunteer clinic where we're um, at school where we're doing research on relationship recognition laws in all the different states. So I'm interested to hear because you technically couldn't get legally married 26 years ago. So why, how is it that you say you've been married for 26 years? What does that mean to you? Because I feel like the law took so long to catch up and in our hearts, we've been married that long. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, I'm I'm not going to let some legal you know, mumbo jumbo, you know, dark ages bullshit (laughs) change the way I feel about my husband or how long we've been committed to each other. So it's funny people, uh, Jade, uh, my niece Jade was actually, uh, there when we went to the justice of the peace and actually signed the paper and made it legal. But, um, you know, it's funny people will say on that date, happy anniversary. And I'm like, that's not in my mind, you know, our mm-hmm. real anniversary. Our real anniversary was when we committed to each other. So it's sort of, you know, I guess it's not technically right, but it's emotionally right. Well, it's right for you. I mean, who's, who, yeah, who's yeah. to say that emotionally right isn't technically right? <laughs> the, the law is not what we need it to be all the time or most of the most time. Most of the time. So. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you guys have like a, a ceremony or a, a party or anything when you, when you, no, um, no, that was a big debate because I was all for it. And my husband, Tom, was like, no, 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 no. I don't like all of that attention. And I don't. So <laughs> we, uh, we didn't do anything. We uh, went out to, uh, you know, a nice brunch with, uh, you know, some relatives. And then uh, last year we did a big celebration for our 25th. And we uh, had uh, like a week in uh, – St. Croix got him so bad, but <laughs> it was obviously meant a lot, uh, <laughs> but it was great. We spent a week sort of everybody celebrating the, the anniversary. So I got my party after all. That's awesome. Oh, that's good. So did you get married like the second it was legalized or did you wait a little bit? Pretty much. Okay. 
No, we, we, we did because we, we were already domestic partners and we didn't feel like that covered enough. And so it was pretty, you know, we wanted to make sure we got as much uh, of the benefit of the, the new laws, you know, that we mm. could. Awesome. Very cool. It's so interesting. Like, I don't know what I would do if, it, I mean, the the mindset around it at the time must have just been so different. I mean, like, did you have, did you know people who, like, even though it wasn't legal, um, we're still having like big ceremonies and parties Definitely. and whatnot. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, people were, you know, saying they were married, even though it wasn't legally true. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it, I sort of remember it evolving because way, way, way before it was legal, there was this, right when reality TV was starting to take off, there was this, uh, episode of these two guys getting married and they were doing it in, you know, this big old fashioned way. And, I remember thinking, wow, that's really bizarre. Like, it just seemed bizarre uh, to my brain at that point. And now it's just amazing how far we've come, you know. Mm-hmm. I, oh, I just realized what this is. This is listen to the old gay. <laughs> Let me tell you about old, <laughs> olden times for the gays. Oh I mean, olden times in this sake was like, fi- like <laughs> seven years, years ago. ago yeah. So, like when we were in college. So, like. But yeah, it was, it was uh, something that people started doing. And, uh, you know it at first was really, really rare and sort of like, what? They're doing what? Um, so it's, yeah, it's changed a lot. Mm. When you were younger, did you think that you'd be married? Uh, no, I never thought that was even possible. I mean, I, I think I was so far in the closet because no one was mm-hmm. out that I had convinced myself that I would, uh, you know, have a wife and kids and, you know, and, the only problem was I wasn't attracted to women, but I would just sort of push that down in the I'll back of my work. brain and be like, no, 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 I'll, it'll be fine. It'll be fine. We'll be best yeah. friends. <laughs> I'll do her yeah. hair. We'll put on mud masks and go to bed. And magically, Santa will bring us children. Yes. <laughs> I ask because I feel like so many people ask me, they're like, do you want to get married? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know. Maybe. I, I, yeah. So it's just right. crazy. But yeah but jumping back a little bit a lot of it so you grew up in illinois yes in a very very small town okay how small uh oh i think it's uh population is like sixteen thousand now or nineteen thousand um okay but uh i feel that yeah it it was a a place it was near st louis so very rural very you know farms and a factory and that was about it Okay. So did you know that you always wanted to like leave and go to New York and yeah, oh yeah. Do Broadway? I, I was born like running <laughs> out of town. I mean, I loved the little town, but it was just like not for me. Uh and then um when I was about 8 or so, my dad took me to see a community theater production of Oliver and I was like, "What is this?" It was like cocaine crack for me I was like this is amazing and there are people singing and dancing and you get to wear costumes and there are lights and music and uh so I was immediately just like this is what I want to do and um Mm. you know my parents were really really supportive which is not always the case if you want to go into anything creative um and so I started doing stuff with the the local community theater I started doing uh you know plays in high school I went to summer arts camps and just was really determined to somehow work in the theater some way or the other. Very cool. 
it's it's very hard, especially if you're not from New York City or, you know, a big place like L.A., um, because you have absolutely no connections. So it's, you know, it's a totally uh, it's a totally different thing when you're used to big city life and every, you know, everybody is, is sort of cool and hip, but I was definitely like the hick from nowhere when, <laughs> when it landed in New York. So I was I very that. naive. I grew up in Cooperstown, which is like way North of the city, kind of nice. near like Oneonta and Albany. So I've, I feel the like rural small town, <laughs> but like always like wanting to run, like being born and being like, yep, I'm going to a city. Like, right. Mark your calendar, mom. The day I turn 18, I'm out of here. Bye. Like, <laughs> So I feel that. Yeah, I mean, but. I I was so naive that because um, I, I ended up I uh, went to NYU and uh, three days a week we had class in Times Square, and this is not the mm-hmm. Times Square that you see now. This was like porno shops and hookers and disgusting, disgusting, you know, just like the worst really? armpit of the world. Oh yeah, oh it was bad. It was terrible, um, yeah. and. Uh, I was walking to class one of my first days and this car pulls up alongside me and the guy rolls down his window and he's like, how much? And I'm like, how much for what? <laughs> and he's like, how much to get in the car? And I'm like, oh no, I'm just going right here. I don't need a ride. And I was telling- to class. <laughs> you know, I was telling other classmates, they're like, you are so stupid. <laughs> I was like, I had no idea. They was just like, wanted to give me a ride. And they're like, you need to grow up right now. You're gonna oh end up gosh. in the Hudson. Yeah. Oh so, my God. There's a little adjusting, you know, when you first get to a big city. That's so wild. <laughs> oh my god, I like don't even know how to respond to that. That's so ridiculous. Yeah, no, I New York. I don't was, know what I would do. New York was rough. It was uh, when I came to audition for NYU. We, my dad and I came and uh, we went to this hotel called the Chelsea Hotel, which in the guidebook said was this really famous hotel, but we didn't know it was famous for like all the wrong reasons. Oh, so we get no. there, my dad is like. Can we see a room? Because he's like, this looks sketchy. And, and, and so we go, okay. So we go up to the room. It's really big. And I'm sort of wandering around. And the guy says something to my dad. And my dad is like, Chad, we're going right now. Let's go. Let's go. And so we get out into the, uh, onto the street. And I'm like, what did he say? And he said, oh, the room is very quiet. You can do whatever you want to the boy. <laughs> I was like, what? Yeah. So... <laughs> It was a rough place back in the day. <laughs> oh, was, wow. Was, oh, my God. That was the old New York. It was rough. Yeah. yeah it's so. not the New York I know. No. It's like, a, it's like a, all pretty and shiny new now. But back then it was, oof, yeah, it was rough. Damn. <laughs> I'm like speechless, shocked, horrified. You, Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> no, my dad was it's kind like, of an so, epic story. <laughs> no, my dad was so upset. I had to give him a blowjob to calm him down. So oh my you know, God. It, was, it was the least I could do. I mean, <laughs> totally good. Totally good. <laughs> oh my God. So, yeah, so when you you said that when you were younger, you like didn't really know that there was like an option to be gay, which kind of makes sense growing up in rural Illinois, I guess. So then, did you start kind of like finding yourself when you got to New York? Definitely. I mean, I think it. Uh, It was the first person I ever told uh, was, you know, during my freshman year. And I couldn't even say it. I was like, I think I might possibly. And she just waited and she finally went, you might be gay. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think think maybe. And I also said, I think, you know, your friend Jason's really cute. And so (laughs) 
<laughs> sort of snowballed, right? Like that. She's like, well, I think Jason thinks you're cute. And I was like, oh, wow. It was like a Sweet Valley High moment. Oh, my God. Um, but uh, so, uh, you know, it it was crazy, too, because when I had left, I was going through this really fake poser phase where I was like, I had dyed my hair jet black and like was listening to like really dark, depressing music and freaking my mom out. And once I realized I was gay and sort of like got into a relationship and by Christmas I got off the plane and I was like preppy and had brown hair again. And my mom was like, I don't know what you're doing, but it, you need to keep doing it. And she didn't know it was you know, <laughs> sucking dick. But um, so, yeah, she didn't know what she was saying. But uh, yeah, I think, you know, you get away from home and you get away from all the people you know, and then you can sort of be mm-hmm. yourself more. And I think everybody goes to that, you know, to, uh, to some extent when you when you leave home and go away either to you know, boarding school or college. Did you go yeah, to boarding school? What happens? No, but oh, you know, I'm I'm a, I'm assuming and right, you know, right, right. Living vicariously through Jade. So mm-hmm. I didn't. <laughs> yes, I went to Cooperstown Central High School. <laughs> I, I so feel I you. fled. I understand. And then I found myself. Yes, I, I understand. Yeah. So yeah, 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 you mentioned that you like got into theater at a young age, but you didn't really figure out the whole gay thing till college. I mean, was that, was the stereotype of theater kids being like the queer ones? Was that not really a thing when you were growing up? No, it was, it was, but I think I just wasn't able to process it. You know, there were, there was, there was like one or two, there were probably two out gay people in that town and that was it. And uh, so, you know, for me, it was just, I, you know, I love theater, but it, the gay thing, you know, and meanwhile, of course, I'm up in my room lip syncing to Evita and, you know, <laughs> I, can, I can teach you how to make, out of two sports jackets, a uh, Coco Chanel suit. Um, oh, so, yeah, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of that going on. Um, a disconnect. <laughs> yes. And then being like, oh, I love girls. Um, so, yeah, it was weird. <laughs> Not to get too, like, dark or sad, but, like, was it scary to be, like, out and gay and doing gay things in New York City around the time that you were when you first got started? It was, and, you know, it was also, AIDS was a big thing, and nobody really knew what it was. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I had, by the time I got to college, uh, we understood safe, what safe sex was. Uh, whereas when in high school, nobody knew what was going on. And so uh, I was an RA and I chose to be a safe sex educator. And uh, it was so crazy. I don't know if you guys know who Dr. Ruth is. Do you know Dr. Ruth? She's this old, uh, she's sort of got a, I don't know if it's a German accent, but in the 80s, she was a sex expert, which sounds insane. Is she in but a people wheelchair? Would call she probably is now. Oh, okay. She probably is now. I was going to say, is she the one who um, Hilary Swank plays in um, that movie, The Normal Heart? No. Oh, no, 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 no. no. Oh, okay. No, this is, this is like a very funny, she was like a very funny, uh, I think Austrian or German uh, sex therapist who was like your grandmother and talked with a heavy accent, oh, oh, but oh, people oh, would okay. call in with questions. And so at NYU in my dorm, I, I did my first night uh, of, you know, to talk about safe sex and educate people and, you know, provide condoms for people. And it was like sort of meh. And then somebody said, why don't you dress up like Dr. Ruth? And I was like, 
that's insane and I'm doing it. So the next <laughs> session I had, we advertised it as Dr. Ruth and I got a wig and an old lady suit and I did this accent. And the crazy thing was people felt so comfortable because they were laughing that they started asking really deep questions. And it was this weird disconnect where I think they felt like, oh, it's all funny. But then all of a sudden we got really, really, you know, some really important information got out. So I think in a way, um, it was sort of like doing theater, you know, to get out the information and make people laugh and feel comfortable. And then they can mm -hmm. ask the real questions that maybe they wouldn't have felt comfortable with before. But um, that was a big segue. But, uh, no, but I yeah, love I it. think that's so cool. <laughs> but I think, you know, it was it was scary because uh, you just didn't know, you know, a lot of people didn't know what was safe. And, you know, it was it was a tough time. And, and there were a lot of people that decided, oh, if we're going to be monogamous together, then we'll go in, we'll get tested together. If we're both negative, we'll, you know, pledge an oath to not, you know, have do anything dangerous with any anyone else. So there was a lot of, you know, you had to really trust someone if you if you wanted to do that. And there were just all these different hurdles to, to navigate, you know, and it, it was scary. And seeing people get sick and die was horrible. And, uh, you know, there was nothing you could do. It's, it's you know, of course, parallel to, to today. You know, we finally have this vaccine that hopefully gets around, you know, sooner rather than later. But, you know, I've, you, you die this horrible death and it's, it's, it's heartbreaking. You said you wanted to go dark, so. I, I, luck I did. I set us up for it. Um, but is that, I mean, I feel like that's not something I've ever really heard people talk about in the context of like a college experience. I mean, is that something that you saw from like classmates? Like, is that something that professors had to deal with? Like, you know, them having students who just like got AIDS and died? Yeah. I mean, the, 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 it, it's such a parallel to uh, the coronavirus because it would be one person would get it and would sort of be fine for a while. One person would get it and it would be like gone in a week. So it was it was yeah. there was no way to know how your body was going to react to it. And uh, and there was a lot of fear about going to, you know, visit people in the hospital, even though at that point we knew it wasn't airborne. We, you know, you couldn't get it from kissing someone unless you were, you know going crazy. So it was, uh, there was just a lot of, of fear and sort of apprehension in the air that, you know, at least it's not, uh, you know, it's not something that you have to deal with today, but mm. Corona takes its place. Hopefully that, you know, goes away soon. Yeah, really. I Hopefully. mean, I just can't even imagine what that would be like to like go into class one day and just have someone just be gone because of eight no you know I, I mean i would hope that professors would be able to talk about it but i can imagine that like tons of homophobia probably still existed within even like the the, the teachers the education yeah scenario. well the, i mean there's also the other aspect of it which is the shame part because mm -hmm. like oh you did something dirty and you know there were a lot of people that just thought oh that's you know you it's your fault you know which is mm -hmm. ridiculous so, yes, it got better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> better. Yes. Definitely better. <laughs> so what was it, what was it like going back to your hometown, small town, Illinois, for the first time after you came out or after you were openly gay? Did, did anything change? Um, 
I mean, at first it was, you know, for my family, it they were supportive, but it took a while for them to sort of process it. Um, I remember my first Christmas home, I uh, was coming out of the grocery store and this guy was driving by and he rolled out his window and he yelled, faggot. Oh, I thought you were going to say, yeah, how home. much? <laughs> <laughs> no, that was, I, was, I, I was charging way too much for small towns then. Um, yeah. No. Uh, but, uh, and I, I got home and I was so upset and I, I told my sister, I was like, you know, and this guy just randomly screamed out, faggot. And she's like, well, you are wearing corduroys. Oh. <laughs> I was like, uh, what? I don't, <laughs> what? What are you talking about? So yeah, it was, you know, it, it was, it felt very strange the first time I came home, uh, with, uh, a boyfriend because my parents were like, yeah, bring him for Christmas. And so that felt, I could tell my step grandmother was a very devout Catholic and she knew the score. She knew that we were boyfriends and everybody accepted it. And, um, my boyfriend and I at the time were sitting in the living room and she walks in with one of my dad's playboys and she puts it down in front of us. And she said, I don't know if you guys might want to look at this and just walks off. <laughs> and I was like, what? Just like, we don't know what a vagina is. And we would have been like, Oh, we're doing this all wrong. Oh my God. <laughs> like, it was the weirdest. And so, you know, Thank God they were for just grandma. Like, <laughs> yeah. Thanks grandma. Um, so yeah, it was kind of weird, but you know, now it seems totally natural. Bless her heart. So <laughs> um, this might be like a dumb question, but were corduroys like the giveaway back in the day or something? <laughs> no, but I guess apparently my sister thought they were super fruity. I don't know. Like, <laughs> <laughs> there was no code. If, I mean, if there was, I, I didn't know about it. I mean, I have a pair of corduroys that I wear like every day, so it would make sense if that were the case. <laughs> but I mean, it's been over my head if that if that's something. No, you're, me too. You know. No, I had no clue. So after, especially like after college, once you were like getting into your career, did your did being gay ever, um, was it ever kind of a factor in your career growth? I I don't think so. I mean, it never. Obviously, the theater is filled with tons of gay people. So it's not, mm. you know, like trying to get into, uh, you know, an accounting firm or, you know, it's just everyone's mm. gay. Uh, well, not everyone, but a lot of people are. Um, I don't know if it affected it in a positive way. I, I don't know. Um, there were uh, definitely producers that, you know, would have fallen under the, the uh, hashtag me too. <laughs> Mm. saying inappropriate mm. things and you yeah. know getting a little handsy that you had to sort of like navigate that part of it so that was a sort of mm. downer um but uh you know I, I think like i said it probably it didn't affect it in a, in a negative way that i that i know of did it yeah have any sort of influence on how you navigated or um, decided what you wanted to do i mean did you ever feel like you couldn't go down a certain path or were nervous to go down certain paths or try out for certain roles or write certain things. It's, it's funny. I, I, I was never, I started out thinking I was going to be an actor and then I switched over to dramatic writing about my junior year. Oh, okay. Um, so I was pretty much, you know, my thesis uh, was a screenplay based on uh, the life of Tchaikovsky, who was a, you know, very closeted uh, gay composer and, had this sort of 
salacious. I didn't know that. Oh yes, yeah, I, didn't uh, I had I didn't this. Know he was gay. Oh yeah, I had a sort of affair with his uh, n- adult nephew. <laughs> there was a lot going on there. Ah. He had, he got married <laughs> and tried to pass himself off, and then she went crazy, and so there was a you know a lot of you know juicy I would stuff watch there. It. Yes, I would totally yeah. watch that. Is that is that the um, screenplay you wrote, or that's the history? That's real life. Yeah. yeah okay. Um, oh my gosh. So, uh, but you know that I didn't feel any sort of like pushback because I was doing something so gay or so. You know, I think it was by then, uh, especially in an art school. You know, I was at Tisch, so it was there was no sort of you can't do that. It was mm. probably encouraged. So that's good. Yeah, things had changed a little bit. Yeah. Um, so I know a lot of the things that you've worked on in the past have also been less queer. Like you did Aladdin and Elf and the wedding singer. And the prom was one of the first like queer things that I was able to find online that you worked on. Probably not one of the first like queer thing that you worked on, but, um, how have those been different for you? Like, do you prefer writing about the queer experience or, um, I do. It's it's funny. The the first musical uh, that ever got to Broadway was The Wedding Singer. And um, mm. that was, I had gone in and was having a meeting with uh, New Line Cinema to pitch a movie. And the guy recognized my name and he had a demo of some of the songs we had written for a show that never got to Broadway. And we were sitting there talking and I saw the poster for The Wedding Singer and I thought, oh, it's a singer, it's musical, it's 80s, it could be really fun. Uh, And so I sort of pitched him that we should do that. And there's uh, a character in the movie called George and he uh, sort of dresses uh, like Boy George. And the joke is, you know, he's clearly very effeminate. And um, and they had had made... uh, it wasn't, they didn't make a thing out of it. He wasn't a joke, but I I remember thinking we have to make this guy super real. He has to be one of the guys and there should be no problem with him being gay. And so I felt like it was a way that I could, even in such a straight story as a wedding singer, you know, contribute to uh, this, this queer character and make him not a joke and make him very much the brains. And uh, another incident happened where, there's a song called Pop, where the uh, lead character, Julia, is hoping that her boyfriend will pop the question. And uh, during the song, all of the people around her are getting proposed to. And one of the last ones, is, are there these two uh, male waiters? And the guy's like, man, if I see one more proposal, I am going to kill myself. And the other one gets down on it and he's like, one more? And he's like, I thought you'd never ask. And they hug. And and so um, the, the reason I tell this anecdote is uh, years later, they were doing a production in a high school. And one of the students wrote to me and said that the director would not allow that moment to happen and cast a straight couple. And for all of the queer kids at the school, they were furious because they, you know, she was changing the story and changing their representation. So I actually uh, emailed the company that licensed it to him. And I said, if she doesn't change that back to a male, male couple, we're going to take the rights away. 
we're, they're not going to be able to do anything. Oh my and God. they had built the sets, they had, had advertiser and rehearsal. And so she wrote to me, the student wrote to me, and she's like, it's back like it was supposed to be. So, you know, oh even God. though it was a big straight show, there were these moments where I felt like, oh, I get to sort of like, you know, represent a little bit. Um, but yeah, I mean, the prom was definitely much, the most heartfelt, you know, thing that I've written and the most connected I've felt to uh, a story and to the characters. But uh, mm. yeah, I, I think there's always that, you know, hope that even if it's a completely straight, you know, story that can fit parts and pieces in there that represent. So, but yeah, I love long that answer, because that's, yes. <laughs> but I love that because that's just like normalization. That's just like acknowledging it without even making it a big deal. It's just mm. exactly. It's realistic. It's, it's awesome. Yes. That's great. Yeah. And we always notice it too. Like, especially like queer people oh, and queer kids, 100%. like they're going to pick up on that de- little detail more than anybody else. And it's going to mean so much. So it's, I like, I love and appreciate so much that you like <laughs> got in, in contact with the licensing company. We're like, take that shit away if they do not yeah, put us in there. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it was, it was definitely funny because I was like, oh wow because as a writer you never have control and i was like whoa i actually have control now to be like i will stop this um and uh you know it definitely it's it's funny because it was a little that student's response was a little bit of like foreshadowing for me for what the response to the prom would be especially you know every night at the the broadway show um you know people coming up to the cast at the stage door or coming up to us and saying I, my mom is right over there. I'm going to come out to her tonight. I couldn't do that without this show, but because we're going to have this conversation. Um, And, you know, when we first wrote the show, we thought it was just going to be a very funny kind of, you know, have a message, but we didn't realize how strong the sort of true heart of the show would affect, how strongly it would affect them. And uh, we had our out of town in Atlanta, which is, you know, you do an out of town before you bring the show to Broadway to get reviews, to see what you should change, to, you know, tweak things. And we had a talk back and this old white man raises his hand and he said, you know, if I would have known what this show is about, I wouldn't have come tonight. But I want to say I'm glad I came and I'm glad those two girls got together in the end. And we were just like, Wow. I mean, it's amazing that a musical could sort of change somebody's, you know, prejudice so easily. So I, I think, uh, you know, it's, it's just inspired me to do more and more shows that, that have that sort of message and have that sort of heart to it. Absolutely. Oh, I love that. <laughs> I think, um, I th- really quickly, sorry, no, really quickly. Yeah, one yeah. question that I did have when I was like doing research and readings and whatnot can you break down the process of how a show gets to broadway yeah well it's 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 very i mean because it's like there was like out of towns and it's the like off broadway and yeah sorry okay go ahead (laughs) yeah well every show is different but Mm -hmm. um basically what what happens is you either come up the idea or you go to a producer who has an idea um, so it, you, either you instigate it or the producer instigates it um, and you sort of write a script uh, and you write the score and you work usually with the director. Uh, at least I prefer to do that because they will already have a vision of what they sort of want. 
Once you've got that done, you have what's called a 29-hour reading where you hire actors for a week and they sit around the table and they read the script. They learn the songs. Uh, and then at the end of the week, you do a couple of round-the-table readings. And then from that, you go away and change and cut and make everything, you know, go crazy and try and make it better. And then you'll have what's called a, a workshop, which is four weeks. And it's this the actors are off book, meaning they've got everything memorized. They learn choreography. They have, you know, cardboard cutouts for set. And, you know, then you present that uh, for a couple of days to possible investors, to theater owners and friends. Uh, and you get feedback from that and you work on that and you tweak it. And then if you're lucky, uh, you find a theater out of town uh where you take the show and you take the, the Broadway set, you take the actors, you take the cost. It's everything. You want to oh see everything before it gets to Broadway. So for about, you know, four to six weeks, that plays in Chicago or Atlanta or San Francisco. And critics come uh, towards the end. And that's terrifying because shows can get <laughs> killed out of town if the reviews are, are bad and then you've wasted all your time and money. Um, but hopefully they're good or good enough to get you to Broadway. And then... Uh, while you're out of town, theater owners from Broadway come and see it. And hopefully one says, yes, we'll take you. Um, then you have what are called previews on Broadway, where you have about mm. two to three weeks where you can change anything. But you're selling tickets and it's in front of a live audience. And those are the most stressful because, you know, you are just up all night changing things, cutting things. Sometimes the cast will perform the song that, you know, they know during the day or at night and then during the day rehearse a totally different song with totally different choreography and then have to go back and do the old one and then go back and learn it until you're ready to insert the production number. Like it's, it's oh, so many moving parts that it's just very, very stressful. Oh, and then you finally have opening night and then you get your reviews and if they're good, you run. And if they're not, you probably don't. And it's like very intense. Yes, it's very intense at the opening night. It's just the worst. Um... And then that's it. That's how I like. That was probably more information than you wanted, but that's the basic process. No, I appreciate that. Because I don't think anybody who listens to this podcast will know that, and knowing that (laughs) gives everybody like much more of an appreciation for anything that like has a run on Broadway. Like that's I had no idea that there were like that many hoops to get through in order to like run for two weeks. No, it is it is insane. I mean, the worst the worst one was Aladdin because we went to Toronto. And we thought we were in great shape. And the reviews come out and they are awful. They just tore us apart. And like, I got killed, the sets got killed, the director got killed, the actors got, everybody got killed. And Disney really didn't know if they were gonna move forward. They could have just said, okay, well, this didn't work. But instead, uh, Casey Nicola, our director, said, no, 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 we are going to rebuild this thing from the ground up. So we wrote new songs, we <laughs> cut characters, we oh changed dance numbers, we did, like everything was new. And, uh, you know, we opened on opening night and thankfully got great reviews and, you know, became a hit. But it was those three months from Toronto to uh, Broadway, I was just like... Xanax and vodka. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, it was rough. But uh, yeah, so that's that's the secret behind, you know, long running Broadway shows. They probably went through some terrible, horrible torture to finally get it right. That's horrifying. That's wild. (laughs) That's really wild. I don't think I could handle that stress. Yeah, it's a it's a lot. We on 
there's also a day called uh, when you freeze the show, and that's in previews towards opening night, and that means no more changes. The unions will not allow changes. And so on that day, uh, my husband Tom and I went out to lunch, and we got a bottle of wine, and we're cheersing, and my phone goes off, and it's the director. And I'm like, hello? And he's like, I think we need three to five new jokes at the top of the show. And the New York Times critic was coming that night. And I was like, Casey, we can't try out new jokes in front of the New York Times. The New York Times makes or breaks your show. And he's like, I'm sorry. I just don't think they're good enough. You, you got to get to the theater and you got to get me new jokes. And I just took my wine and poured it into my husband's glass and got up and was just like, okay, here we go. So oh, yeah. to go coffee oh cup and you're like, all right. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So it can be very, very stressful. But uh, thankfully wow. that story has a happy ending. Yeah. yeah that's good. <laughs> oh my god <laughs> I mean at that point when they're doing like you said like they're reviewing like your work specifically like will they talk about you by name oh god yeah oh yeah no I no, mean, no it's it's brutal <laughs> no, I, I they, think I would die no it's, it feels really public and when it's bad it's just you're just like oh god now everybody is like you know Everyone's like, Everybody knows Chad Beckham. my shame. Ooh. I know. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I remember, because uh, we didn't get great reviews on Wedding Singer from the Times. We got great reviews from everybody else. But I remember seeing other theater people, and they'd be like, how are you doing? And I'd be like, oh, <laughs> fuck off. <laughs> I mean, my mind immediately went to, like, I can't imagine writing a show for Disney because I feel like they probably have, I don't even think high expectations like would cover it. Like I feel like they're like, (laughs) everything has to be so perfect and there's no room for anything else. So like, I'm so curious to hear about that. And then I'm so curious to hear about that in comparison to like writing the prom because the prom was your brainchild with the help of your composer partner right so yeah like, i feel like the 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 comparison i'm just so intrigued in like the working under the corporate giant of disney versus like working on something that's completely your own well the i mean i'm sure people have had their experiences with disney disney disney's been wonderful to me and great um but uh the, you know there it's just so tricky because when you're doing an adaptation of something as famous as aladdin you want people to, you want it to be its own thing. You don't want it to be just go watch the animated feature. A recreation um, of the movie, yeah. Right. You don't just want to plop it down on stage, but you also can't not give those sort of tentpole moments that audiences expect. Um, and with the great thing about the, uh, the Broadway show of Aladdin is Howard Ashman, who is the lyricist that wrote... Aladdin, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Little Mermaid, with the composer Alan Menken, uh, unfortunately uh, died of AIDS. And, uh, but he had left a, an outline for what he thought the movie should be like. And when I met Alan Menken, he said, you know, take this, <laughs> look at it, see if there's anything you can glean from it. And so that sort of helped me realize, oh, how are we going to do a genie that's not blue, that's not Robin Williams, um, and he had always seen it as a sort of 40s band leader, sort of Cab Calloway type character. And so we started sort of leaning into that. Um, but the, but yeah, you, you know, the, the hard part about a Disney show is also the humor can't, there can be no political humor. There can be no sexy 
puns or yeah. any kind of double entendre. Mm -hmm. And so totally. you're really, really limited. Um, and, you know, things would happen. Like when we were out of town, one of the characters ad-libbed, can I get an Allah? And the producers came running at me and they're like, you cannot do an Allah joke. You can, and I was like, I didn't, that was me. That was me. That was him. <laughs> I didn't write that. <laughs> I know. Don't look at me. So anytime they would like riff and do something sort of off color, they would always like come to me and I'd be like, I swear to God, I know the rules. <laughs> that was not me. Um, so that, you know, that has its own sort of challenges. Um, with the prom, the, the, it's sort of the opposite is true. It's, the, the total blue sky, you can go anywhere, which can also be sort of overwhelming because overwhelming. You, you're making these stories up and these characters and what about this? And, we, you know, we tried some and then that didn't work. So we cut this and we, you know, it was a lot of uh, trial and error. And uh, it also, unfortunately, didn't have the title. And I think we would have run longer on Broadway if people would have known what it, what it was. But, you know, Aladdin, you know what that is. Mm -hmm. The prom, mm -hmm. I think people thought, is this like a high school musical type thing? Or is it going to be mm -hmm. for kids? Or, um, and thankfully, now that the movie has come out, I think, you know, subsequent productions of the, the stage show will be much more, people will understand what it is as opposed mm -hmm. to be, yeah. being sort of in the dark. Um, but yeah, they're completely different and, you know, you can curse <laughs> in the prom. <laughs> so you don't have to worry about that. So it's not, you know, it, Disney, they want you to be able to sell to the kids, to the parents, and to the grandparents. Mm -hmm. And totally. with the prom, it was just like, just write the show. So, yeah. yeah, it's very different sort of brain. You have mindset to get into. Totally. Speaking of the prom, I have a question about the Netflix casting and I don't know how much sway you had over that. And I'm also just interested to hear your opinion on the subject in general. But um, I know that online there has been some uh, malcontent about the casting of James Corden as a gay character. And I, I don't want to make you answer questions about, <laughs> you know, things that you don't uh, don't want to talk about but i mean the idea of casting a straight male in a for a character that really is you know embodies a lot of the queer or of some people's queer experience was that ever at odds yeah and queer trauma is that ever was that ever at odds with your thought on how the play should go also, I'm just going to interject if you need to, if we can totally edit this, if you... No, 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 it's okay. cool. Okay. Um, I'm just like... It's, <laughs> it's, it's really such a tricky thing because, um, you know, first of all, when somebody buys the rights, this is not me passing the buck, but it kind of is. When somebody buys the rights <laughs> to your, your Broadway musical, they then own it. So they can, they could have set it on Mars and we would have been like, had nothing to say right. or do about it. Um, I do think that uh, it, it, it does seem to become, I don't know if we're waking up and it's because, you know, nobody had a problem with Eric Stone Street on Modern Family mincing around mm -hmm. for all those years. You know, that was fine. Um, and, you know, Stanley Tucci's coming out, the, the, the person playing the drag queen and everyone's talking about Jamie's in the movie is straight. So I don't know, like, is, is it because of James? Is it because of his performance? I do know, um, you know, and some people say, oh, it's pink face, you know, I, I don't know. I've never if heard I, that. Uh, yeah. So I, pink face. I don't, I, I really, I'm, I'm as confused, I think, as a lot of people, because 
it, the whole thing is about representation. On the other hand, it's also, you know, he delivers a really truthful performance. And I never feel as if he's putting anything on. In fact, I think he's being restrained. Um, but I do, I understand both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. So it's sort of, I don't, I don't know where I land yet. And I think it's because we're still figuring it out. I mean, if you look back at the original cast of uh, the Broadway production of um, Miss Saigon, and you have a Caucasian British man playing an Asian man, you know, that would never happen today. People would be like, mm -hmm. that's insane. So I don't, are, are, is that where we are right now? Or, or, or mm -hmm. is this a different thing? Because it's, it's, it's sort of funny because as writers, we face it too. You know, if, is it okay for a couple of white guys to have written a black principal? You know, is that, mm. is it going to be, I can only write white, gay, attractive, middle-aged men? I mean, I'm just kidding about the attractive. Um, <laughs> you know, can I only write myself then? So now yeah. I can't write women, you know, which is, is a different thing, but it's something that definitely comes up and, you know, it's, it's super tricky because you want, you know, gay actors to be employed. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know. I guess I'm a big question mark on it, but it's definitely something that has made me think and I keep questioning, uh, you know. One thing Ryan Murphy does though, and this is true, is that he is completely blind to the actor's personal, you know, sexual history. <laughs> you know, he has over and over and over cast gay men as straight men and, and over and over and over cast straight women is gay, you know, it's, it's just, he, he mixes it mm. all up and maybe, I don't know if that's, you know, part of his MO, but, uh, it definitely is something that I think we're all sort of trying to struggle with and figure out what's right. And so I've not really, I've just talked in circles, but, um, <laughs> because it is so confusing, it's perplexing mm. and, and, you know, nobody yeah. I think really knows yet what the right answer is. It is interesting because I feel like everything he does is so intentional and I've never really thought about it, but I, I think you're right. Like, I don't think he would haphazardly like cast a queer person as a straight person and vice versa. Like, I think that everything he does is like, he has a plan. I mean, not, not that I know him personally, but like from like <laughs> looking at his work and stuff, like I think that he definitely has like a very clear vision of everything that he wants. Um, yeah, so, absolutely. That is a I mean, very interesting I think, point. I think he sees in the actor, he sees the character in the actor, or he doesn't. And totally. I think he's sort of like, screw everything else. Like, this is, I see that character in that person. And, you know, for better or for worse. But I do think, and, and James has said, like, he was very leery of it. And, you know, Ryan was right there with him, making sure that everything was as authentic as it could be. And it wasn't, you know, if it was a character that was just a big old queen and there was no real acting being done and it was just offensive, then I, I totally would be furious. But he created, yeah. I think, a really, you know, a three-dimensional character uh, in, the, in, the, in the movie. So, but yeah, it's a question I think we're going to keep grappling with for a while. Totally. And it is definitely a very sharp double-edged sword. Um, and we talked about this, I think it was in Carson's interview, right, Matt, where we talked yeah. about, like, it is this, like, horrible catch-22 of, like, you want you want the representation, but then it's, like, at the same time, 
if the gay role is not filled by a queer person, then you're like still mad. But then it's like, how would we get to a point where the gay actors are being cast if the gay roles aren't being written and like and seen so it's just like it's a weird mm-hmm. a very weird situation and then like but... you can't be asking people like what your se- what their sexual orientation is and like casting and whatnot so it there mm-hmm. isn't like a perfect answer and i i think you're right i, th- I mean i do see the merits to both sides of it um mm-hmm. i just you know i wish i had a a more clear stance on this particular issue of like of gay men or of gay characters being played by straight men. I mean, I think I feel a lot more strongly about, you know, trans characters um, mm-hmm. being played by trans women and trans men. Um, but I think the gay thing is a little more, a little trickier. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think it's just going to evolve how it evolves, but um, mm-hmm. I, I yeah. don't, I, it, you know, like I said, it's, it's, it was never a problem on modern family. You know, that was never a problem, but you know, that's in the past. So maybe that's what we need to learn. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious how it'll be in five years. I think it'll probably only time will tell. Yes. But, um, jumping off. Well, actually one thing that I thought was really fascinating and I would love to hear you talk on was I was listening to an interview and you were saying that, um, like James Corden and Meryl Streep, they just like showed up at a show one night. And that's oh, how yeah. you kind of found out that they were going to be in the movie. They were just well, like in the audience. We didn't even know the movie was happening. We know we knew that Ryan had come to see the movie, and that's all we knew. And then one night mm. we're sitting there, and you know stars come, but uh, it was like oh, it's night no after deal. night. It was, it was stars just uh, yeah. I mean, you know, they they show up. You know, they want to see a show. Um, of course. But uh, you know, it was like one night was Meryl Street, or no, one night was Nicole Kidman. We were like, oh mm. my god. And then one night was James. <laughs> And then, then Meryl was there and we were like, what is going on? Because usually it's not like boom, boom, boom. It's like, uh-huh. you know, an event yeah. if somebody's there. And then we found out that he wanted to, Ryan wanted to make the movie and he wanted those people to see it so they could say yes or no to the part and whether oh they wanted to or God. not. So, but it was, it was totally surreal and just insane because, you know, it, and also, you know, once we got to meet them on the set of the movie, uh, mm-hmm you know, it was so surreal because they kept asking questions about the stage show. And it was like, you guys are in the movie, <laughs> you know, but they were so fascinated by like, how'd you do this? You know, how did that happen? And what, how did this work? And so it was definitely, it was sort of exciting to see that they were that committed to not just the movie, but the message of the movie. Totally. Oh, I love that. And I'm super curious. Oh, go ahead. I, no, I wasn't going to say anything. Oh. Okay. I'm curious <laughs> too, because... To <laughs> I'm curious that like I, I feel like a lot of the works that you did on Broadway were adaptations of film like we see it in Aladdin we saw it in The Wedding Singer we saw it in Elf but then going the other way and having prom then be adapted into a movie I'm really curious about the like the opposite direction of the opposite flow I guess well one one thing that's really rare is usually somebody else writes the screenplay but Ryan wanted uh, Bob and me to actually write the screenplay. And uh, the difference was, you know, it was a completely different process because Mm -hmm. for the Broadway show, we had to keep the cast size down. We had to keep the set pieces down. We had to keep everything. So there were so many things we wanted to do and you just can't because the budget and and, uh, Mm -hmm. the limitations of the stage. And so when we started working on the script, Ryan was like, yeah, show him on the bus. Yeah, do a flashback. Yeah, show him in the mall. And we were like, Oh my God. And, you know, we wanted in the, 
in the Broadway show, Emma has a grandmother and we, our director was like, I don't want to see a 24 year old chorus girl in a gray wig, you know, walking around like she's an old lady. Like, so just put her off stage. So we were able to actually put her in the movie. Um, and so it was really just sort of mind blowing because it was the exact opposite of what you're told in theater. You're always mm. told in theater, you know, small, small, small. Uh, and this was bigger, bigger, bigger. Um, <laughs> he would also email us and, or, or yeah, he would email us usually on a Sunday night at like 10 o'clock and he would be like, I need a new scene on the bus for Meryl and James and give Nicole a laugh line and make me cry, break my heart and get it to me by tomorrow morning. Cue <laughs> <laughs> the vodka and the Xanax. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So Bob and I would be like, oh my God, just like sweating and like trying to get something out. And and, um, and then we would never hear anything. So we'd be like, oh no, I hated it. He hated it. What? And, uh, and then we would... We, we would say something, you know, we'd email one of his assistants and he, like, they'd be like, oh no, he, he loves it. He's already blocking it right now. They're going to shoot it. You know, so it was oh just God. such a, he, I think he just works so fast on so many projects that there's no I, time to be like, oh, you're such a good little writer. You know, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. you know, keep it, keep it coming, keep it coming. Um, no news yeah, is was, good news. <laughs> yes. No news is definitely good news. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the exact opposite. It was, like, you know, there, money is no object, go crazy, you know. And the first day we walked on yeah. the movie set, we were blown away because he had built that Times Square set is indoors and the restaurant they celebrate in is all built indoors, like fully functional uh, set pieces that just went on wow. to infinity and just so many people on set. And I think that's when it sort of hit us that this was a big, huge splashy musical That's movie cool. uh, the set was beautiful that was like yeah like and all, Times Square all was created like stunning yeah it's all built you know and no cgi just all there it was crazy i mean That's so cool how much of the the color was like tweaking because that color was insane <laughs> i mean it, in it was in, it was insane i'm sure they i'm sure they sweetened it but it was insane in person it was like wow uh that's really it was, cool yeah it also makes me realize how how many people now, since you know, going under uh, the COVID conditions, how they probably have shrinked down the the amount of people. There were four people sitting at one monitor with headphones on, watching and writing and making notes. And I really, I said, "Who are they?" And they're like, "Oh, those are our lip sync coaches." And I said, "What?" Like, oh, yeah, no, they, they go out there and, like, if they're not doing the R right or they're not hitting the T right or if they're too early oh, or too... Netflix. And I was like, okay, so you have a job called... And you need four of them to just tell people how to <laughs> lip sync. Like, you couldn't just get some drag queens in there? That would have been so yeah. much easier. Oh, my God. Oh, so, that yeah. That so it's wait, just so when massive. When did it shoot? Back to um, 2019? Yeah, it was right, uh, right, I think, towards the end... I, my I'm so bad with dates. This I'm telling you, yeah. being in lockdown, I'm like, is it Tuesday? Is it I know. Friday? Um, but yeah, <laughs> we got that. almost the whole thing done, uh, except for four final days of shooting when uh, LA went into lockdown. So wow, wow. Thankfully, they were able to, after enough time, figure out protocols uh, to be able to finish the film. But if we would have been halfway through, there's no way it would have come out when it did. Holy shit. Yeah. So we got lucky. Well, that's really lucky. Yeah. yeah. Thank God. Um, so did, did you always want to make a movie or was that never really anything on your radar? Like, did you ever have any like prior ambition to like be in the, the I'm TV not, world? 
<laughs> Not really. I I did um, write. Uh, I God, I was a few years out of college. I did this. They had this program for a couple of years at Disney in L.A. for Disney live action where they hired three writers to be on set. And so I was one of the three and we each had an office and basically they would come to us with whatever they needed. So they would be like, we need you to rewrite the jokes in this scene or we need you to, you know, take a pass at this script. And so I did that for a year um, and it just I just realized I wasn't as passionate about it. It was just sort of like it was fun and exciting, but it wasn't, there's something about live theater and all those horrible, stressful nights, <laughs> you know, but you feel like you're part of this group and you're all trying to do it together. Whereas, you know, with screenwriting, it's very much like you're in a room by yourself staring at the wall. Yeah. And uh, so, yeah, I think, I think that taught me pretty quickly that, I, I mean, I still would love to do more uh, screenwriting, but it's, Definitely something I would want to do with a collaborator or, you know, mm -hmm. a, another musical movie type thing would be great. Um, totally. Yeah. So it's just, it's very different. And as you know, as you both know, life is very different in L.A. than it is in New York. So it's, <laughs> it's also, you know, a personal life kind of thing, too. Hmm. I'm not going to lie. I actually really don't know that much. L.A. is like a figment of like imagination world and... I've been there once and it was for, it was like a year ago, like right now actually for Aaron's birthday. Like literally a year ago. Literally a year ago. <laughs> and it was like so quick. I was like, I don't even know where I am. What is going You're on? you drunk so, the whole time. Not right. the whole time, but like a good amount of the time. <laughs> 80% of the time. Yeah. But that's um, very cool. So cool. Um, I'm going to really switch gears quite a bit here. Um, Okay. Kind of going back a bit. Um, how did you and your husband meet? We, uh, <laughs> at the time, we were actually both volunteering at a soup kitchen for the homeless. And um, we, I'm kidding, we met at a bar. Oh my God! <laughs> I totally believe you. I <laughs> every time. I was like, is this going to be the next oh, screenplay? Like, from... come on. Yeah. <laughs> no, we, we, uh, we met in a bar and this was before the internet and even I cell phones. <laughs> That's how old it was. Um, and you had to actually go up to someone and start talking to them. And uh, at the time I was I like doing being, a, like an internet. <laughs> <laughs> I know, you're like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but I was doing an internship at uh, Juilliard in their theater department, and I was out with the mm. cast from the show, and I saw Tom, and I thought he was really super cute, and I went over to him, and we started talking, and then uh, one of the cast members was like, I'm going to go, I'm going downtown, you want to share a cab? And Tom was like, I'm going downtown too. So, uh, so we all three shared the cab, and he asked for my number, and we dropped him off, and... Um, then uh, by the time I got home, he had left a message on my machine saying, oh, I'm really nervous because I don't do this right now. I'll lose my courage. So I just wanted to say I really like you and I'd really like to go out sometime. And so I got home and I called him and we, this is true. We talked until the sun came up. And uh, so it was very oh romantic. And then so a few cute. days later, we went out on Valentine's Day, which was a big risk <laughs> because, you know, <laughs> it didn't work out. But it all worked out. So, yeah, but it was, that was a very different time. Like whenever I talked to any, anybody younger, they're like, well, it's, was it grinder? Like there was not even a cell phone back yeah. then. Like oh you had to, you know, send a Raven. 
Um, but, uh, oh yeah, I miss hard. that. I want to rave in. Such a rave Everyone in. listening. Yes. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's uh, can't it's imagine. He's, yeah, he's no, kind he's of great, and and you know, it's very it's it's funny because he is so much taller than me, and yet we will be in airports or we're in Vegas once and people will be like, twins? Are you guys twins? Mm. We're like, what? We're, we're not even close. To, you know, but I think it's because we've been together so long that you just start to morph into the other person a little bit, which can be good or bad. But he's in the other room, so I'm not going to say any more than that. <laughs> I, I got the twins thing one time with my boyfriend, but it was really weird because, yeah, I don't understand. He is like three inches shorter than me, skinnier, paler has dark reddish brown hair like he's very much a ginger and i not in this light i have a little blonder hair but we were with my mom which was the weirdest part because she has like a (laughs) dark brown like bob and i was like the lady at the grocery store was like asked my mom she's like oh are these your twins and i was like not a single one of us looks related like I'm so a spitting weird. image of my father. I couldn't look anything less like either yeah, of these were. two. <laughs> I don't know. Um, Maybe it's the connection that they feel. Who knows? Yeah, it's, totally. you know, it's just in the air and palpable. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I do feel the like morphing into each other. We are. I'm lucky in that we're just uh, enough different in size that we can't share a wardrobe really, which is like a blessing and <laughs> right. a curse. Because if we could, like, honestly, I, I think it would have morphed into, like, one large wardrobe at this point, and then it would really be an issue. <laughs> right. A lot of fighting. Not good. Kind of in a similar vein, but a, a little bit of a segue. But on the, like, family tangent. Yes. Um, I'm curious what it's like being, again, in air quotes, a gunkle. <laughs> <laughs> because, yeah. Well, it's, it's great because, um, you know... Tom and I didn't want kids and didn't, you know, didn't want to go down that road. There was one point where I sort of wanted to and he didn't. And I actually wrote a play about it uh, that went up off Broadway called Harbor about a gay couple mm. sort of grappling with that. But it, uh, you know, so you get to enjoy them when they're kids and as they grow up and, you know, give them presents and be the fun adult. And then you get to leave the responsibility to somebody else. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's been great. And it's, uh, you know, it's definitely so funny to think about my nieces and nephews when they were kids compared to now, because now they're all adults. And it's, it's just so funny to be able to sit around drinking with them and, you know, <laughs> not watching what you say. It's, it's definitely very, very funny. Did yeah. you ever have to have any like, yes, we are gay. It is, that is correct. <laughs> you ever have to have any of those conversations? No, I mean, I think, I think my brother and sister, you know, they, they sort of brought them up to know that that existed in the world and that's what we are. Um, the funniest thing that was ever said to me was when my nephew Jared was young and uh, they were up visiting us in the Hamptons. My uh, brother said something about some woman. I said, well, she's beautiful. And my, bro- my nephew Jared was like, how can you tell? I can see women. I can actually see and, you know, make some sort of judgment call. And he was just so confused, like how I would know if she was beautiful or dead. So, yeah. That's so funny. Oh, really young. It was in in the same uh, sentence. 
the same conversation, he said, I've decided that I'm only going to eat meat that eats other meat. And we're like, okay, so you're not a vegetarian. You're gonna, you want <laughs> like a lion for lunch. What? So he was pretty young. Yeah. Kids say the darndest things. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I'm like, so <laughs> I'm going to be thinking about that one for a long time. <laughs> yeah. We were like, what is happening? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> okay, yeah. buddy. Pats him on the head. <laughs> That's right. Yes. We'll remember that someday. Yeah. Oh I'm so mad. Neither yeah. of my sisters are having kids anytime soon. So, Is that something either of you want? or I'm like counting down the moments. I can't I fucking wait. I, if I could, oh, I that's would. Great. Oh my God, I would be a dad like two years ago if I could. <laughs> right. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like I'm still like a baby child and like have so much more to do for myself before I devote my life to a kid because I, if I were to have kids, I definitely want to like you know, be the dad, but I'm like, I have a lot left to do for me first. Right. Yes. Maybe I'll get a dog. (laughs) Yes. Get a dog. No, I think that's what Tom and I realized that we're just too selfish. We'll just, you know, the minute we can't go out and have martinis because we have to do something for the kid, we'll be like, ugh. so yes, shallow, shallow, but realistic. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. But that's also good that you can recognize that. We're not going to have a kid right now. (laughs) And maybe later. Who knows? Yeah. Or just a bartender. That too. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I think, I mean. Where else is your brain going? Any any other last thoughts? I don't know. I mean, I just kind of want to like hang out with you regularly, Chad. (laughs) I know. I really can't wait for the pandemic to be over and to come just like hang in New York. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. It's like got to end soon. Mm -hmm. Please, Lord. I something popped out at me when I saw that you, you the first thing you wrote was a musical based on Maurice by Ian e. Forrester. Yes. Um, I mean that stuck out to me because I saw The Inheritance during the previews, and I know that that was based on an Ian e. Forrester book. So I was like, "Whoa!" I was like, "Hold on!" And then I was like, "Could this have been the, the Inheritance? Had it been uh, allowed?" Well, that the the funny thing about. Um, about Morris was it was the first thing that we had written and we had I'd gotten this rejection from this theater company and I was just sick of getting rejection letters so I wrote him back and I said can I just take you out to lunch and just get your advice on what I can do to sort of be better uh, be a better writer listening take that uh, advice that's yes. awesome advice yes it was ballsy but he said sure so we went out to lunch and we were talking and he said, you know, I don't really like the composer you're working with. And I said, well, I'm not working with him anymore. And he said, well, I know of this guy, Matthew Sklar. And mm. so Matt and I met. And then uh, we said, yeah, we'd love to work together. And he said, well, I have a slot three months from now to do a workshop, which is that thing where they, you know, mm. learn it and dance it, but don't do the whole thing. Um, mm. And I said, what about Morris? And we wrote the whole thing in three months, which is unheard of, but we were young and didn't know we shouldn't be able to do that. And uh, then we found out it was the one Ian Forrester book that was not in public domain. And it's they the only not, one? The only one. And it was because of the gay content. So King's College owned it and they would not release the rights. So if we would have done Howard's End, which the inheritance is based on, we would have been fine. Um, so it was a really like painful lesson to learn that you've got to make sure that whatever, if you're using source material, that it's available and that you can, you know, get the rights. Um, so we moved on and wrote, you know, other things and, uh, it probably, it was very Les Mis because was, that was, you know, Les Mis was happening then. So it was very song and grand and, you know, so it's probably a good <laughs> thing that it didn't happen, but, uh, <laughs> but 
you know, you got to start somewhere. So yeah, that's a hard lesson to learn right off the bat, though. That must have been so frustrating. <laughs> I know, but you know, I, I always feel like even if things fail, they lead to something else. You know, we had mm-hmm. a show called The Rhythm Club that went out of town to D.C. and we already had our poster up on theater, the marquee up, and we got killed in reviews. And the show got, the money got pulled and the show never happened. But the woman who ended up producing The Wedding Singer had seen her out of town and thought we should write her next musical that she was producing, which was The Wedding Singer. So, you know, even when there's a failure, it's always hopefully a step to something else. That's some positivity (laughs) during during this pandemic for you. That's awesome. (laughs) I'm going to go cry in the corner now. Oh, love that for you. That's that's how we want everyone to leave our podcast, you know? That's, yes, absolutely. That's how I'm going to sign off. Um, I, one last question. It's something that we've talked – it's quite different, but um, it's something we've talked about a lot on the podcast. It's something I'm always, always interested in having a conversation about, but I, I know we've been chatting for a while, so I won't, I won't make it last too long. But have you found in your – like in your – being in such a a gay friendly sphere that you know in my experience in the gay community there's all sorts of like intergenerational friendships um and that those are in my in my experience like some of the most fruitful and some of my favorite friendships have you does that kind of continue into the theater community amongst the the gays in there or i mean i think especially when you're in a show Mm-hmm. It definitely does because there's such a wide range of, of ages and, and everybody's so diverse. Um, but it's it's strange. I feel like it's, you know, definitely all of my friends are pretty much around the same age. And I think, you know, unless you're in a space where you're meeting, you know, people older and younger than you, uh, I don't know. I, I find that uh, that's not really, uh, it's, it's rare, especially, uh, I guess, because we're, you know, sequestered in the Hamptons that we sort of know who we know and, and that's mm. it. Um, mm. We, uh, we do try and uh, we're, we do a lot of, Tom and I do a lot of work with the LGTB network out here on Long Island. And the thing I love about them is that, and this isn't a personal thing, but at least it's exposure, you know, they, they have a youth center and then they have a senior center and mm. they're sort of, you know, mixing that up, which I think is great. And I think, uh, you know, providing help and providing, you know, assistance and also, uh, you know, when people can gather, uh, you know, events about movies or art or what have you. Um, Mm -hmm. So through that, I think we've met some people, but it's, you know, it's definitely feels, especially right now, you know, sort of everybody's sequestered in their own bubble. Yeah, right. Yeah, that makes sense. In theater, it's it's totally different because you're you know if you're going out after the show, everybody mm-hmm. usually goes out, so you're you're there with a wide array of different kinds of people. Got it. Mm-hmm. Which is great. Very cool. I love that. Um, is there anything else that we haven't touched on that you wanted to talk about or highlight? Is there anything oh. else that you're working on right now that you can talk about? <laughs> well, wow, what a question. We're working on it. Yes, we're working on a show, a new show with the prom team. Uh, so the same director, okay. choreographer, and the same co-book writer, and the same uh, composer, and me. And uh, it's funny, we started when the pandemic started, and we were working on this really intense, dark show. And then we were just getting so fucking depressed. <laughs> and so we were like, let's not do this. 
what are people going to want to see when they can finally we'll put go a pin to the theater in it. again? Yeah, let's <laughs> we'll come save back this. To this one. Yes. And so now we're writing this really ridiculous, over-the-top farce because we kind of feel like people are going to want to come out of this and just want to laugh and forget and just, Definitely. you know, let's not go heavy. Please. So, <laughs> yes. Definitely. So we're, it is, it is ridiculous. I mean, half of the stuff we're writing we know probably won't happen because it's just so over-the-top. But we're, <laughs> it's making us laugh, so hopefully it'll make other people. That's good. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's good. Yeah. Well, thanks for having me on the show, guys. Oh, you're it, you're of not. Course. It's not done that quick. We like to end with two little notes. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Okay. Yes. Yes. So, what is the gayest thing that you did this week, or this year so far? I guess. Yeah. Um, three days a week. Uh, my husband and I have two Peloton bikes and two Pelotons. Wow. Yeah, because we don't like to wait uh, for the other person to be done. So he will do the class, and I have the gayest playlist of all show tunes. So oh he's out there, like, grunting, 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 and I'm like, NYC. I'm just, like, singing along, and he's, like, just like, what? And it's the most embarrassing songs. They're not, like, cool, like, Dear Evan Hansen songs. They're, like, Annie and No No Nanette and just, like, oh, as gay gosh. as you can get. And sometimes, like, I try not to sing out loud, but sometimes he's just like, that is the gayest you've ever looked in your life. And I'm like, yeah, well, here to own it. So, yeah, you're that like, would you're probably welcome. be it. Exactly. <laughs> I love that so much. Oh, my God. I do, too. I know. It is, it is embarrassing, the, the, the songs that are on there. And, you know, tap dancing and 42nd Street, it's like nothing cool. Nothing cool or straight about it at all. <laughs> That's Aaron, what about fun. you? What's Matt. the gayest thing you did this week? Um, well, similar in the workout vein, uh, Ian, Jade, and I are in a group chat, and we are all doing the same workout program in our uh, respective locations and oh. sending each other, like, updates and, like, holding each other accountable and, like, sending gross, sweaty workout selfies and being like, we did it! Get off my back! <laughs> it's fine! Like, your turn! So... Very nice. uh, yeah, it's been great. What about you, Matt? Um, I probably, without a doubt, was um, <laughs> uh, absolutely like n- uncontrollably crying watching the prom. <laughs> 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 mm-hmm. um, I just, I think I'll just put a period there. And just <laughs> that was it. Very, you, you, you're a very smart, smart man. <laughs> yeah, with great taste. Thank great you, taste. Yeah. <laughs> I know it was just something that just like, popped up. Kiss ass. Like, yeah, it just popped up on Netflix. <laughs> I don't know. Have you guys heard of it? So. <laughs> no, cast but, like, of unknowns. Yeah, the uh, the last scene when all the queer kids were filing in, I had to like literally pause it to be like, hold on, compose yourself. <laughs> it's gonna yeah. be okay. Oh, you know what? I'll add to the 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 homosexuality of it all. My boyfriend was doing a Peloton uh, hit workout right next to me. And like kept looking over and was like, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I'm literally picturing this. And Hoagie's running around in circles at your feet. Yeah. Oh my god. Hoagie is the dog. <laughs> uh, I, I I was hoping that's that's what it was. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. Um, and then um, the the last question is: Did you have any um, uh, organizations or? What's the other word that we use? Anything. Anything. Causes. Causes that you uh, want to shout out. 
I guess I already shouted them out, but yeah, yeah. I really like the, the LGTB network on Long Island is, is they do great work and, uh, you know, they're doing stuff virtually right now because we all have to do that, but, mm -hmm. uh, they're actually, I'm, I'm going to work with them. Uh, we're going to put together a little, uh, sort of entertainment thing, fundraiser thing. Oh, so cute. work. So yeah, we're going to discuss that tomorrow, but, uh, they do That's great awesome. stuff. So shout out to them. Very cool. Well, Chad, for everyone listening, where can they find you? If you want to be found. <laughs> if you want to be found. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah. I, you know, I'm, I'm old. I'm on, you know, Instagram and that's about it. Um, hey, me too, girl. So, yeah. so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, on, I'm on Facebook for my mom. Um, and that's it. No, no Twitter me for me. No Twitter. Uh, no Twitter. I'm working on my TikTok right now. Uh, just kidding. Yeah, good, for um, Let's be like, so, good for you. Let's be like, good for you. <laughs> Being me to that one. <laughs> no, no. Nobody needs to see that. <laughs> you probably do really well if you did like behind the scenes on like how to write a song. Hmm. All right. Mm. I'll, 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 I'll have my people look into it. I'll produce it. you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh, man. Hilarious. It's so funny. Aaron, cool. where can well, everybody find we will you? Link, oh. We will link your Instagram in the description for everybody if they if they want to send okay, love great. letters. Send a raven. Perfect. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I can be found everywhere, Aaron Idelson. What about you, Matt? I can be found on Instagram at Maddie Roar, and you can find this podcast on Instagram at Queering the Air Pod. Woohoo! <laughs> Thank you so much, Chad. Chad, you're the sure, best. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much. Have a good one. Hey guys, thanks for checking out this week's episode of Queer in the Air. Once again, I'm Matt. And I'm Aaron. We would absolutely love for you to take the time to write a review of our podcast and leave us a rating on Apple Podcasts. It really, really helps us out. And please remember to subscribe on whatever platform that you're listening on. If you want to keep up with us or keep us in check, you can find us on our social media. You can find me at Maddie Roar. You can find me everywhere, Aaron Idelson. And you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Queering the Air Pod. If you'd like to reach us by email, you can find us at QueeringTheAirPod at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening. We'll catch you guys next time. Thank you so much to all of our guests and listeners. We appreciate you all lots. New episodes of Queering the Air are released every single Tuesday. Our podcast music is All For Me by Swift, provided from Epidemic Sound. All views expressed in the podcast are our own. As always, if you want to keep us in check or continue the conversation, feel free to DM us on our social media or email us. Bye.